Hello and welcome to the Dance Futures podcast, the podcast that discusses dance as a way of life with people who've made it central to theirs. I'm your host, professional dance geek, Dr. Ruth Pettibridge, and this is the December edition. Baby, it is cold outside. Um, And I've been thinking about how we brace against the cold, how, how we have to kind of stiffen up and yeah that's been making me think about how to soften how to stay open and kind of soft towards the world even when it's feeling cold (laughs) and i think i'm trying to make a slightly tenuous segue there with my guest this month and how we discuss kind of dancing moving returning to performing a stage in life maybe that's more associated with stillness and with decay and with death indeed the big d word is definitely something that we address in this edition of dance futures and it's interesting thinking about looking back and looking forwards and about what point in our lives we start to have less time to look ahead and more behind us and my guest this month is just such a profound example of what that can mean as an artist. Um, Professor Emeritus at Roehampton University, choreographer, director, writer, psychotherapist, Emmeline Clade. Now, Emmeline's personal history kind of interweaves with contemporary dance history in the UK, really. um, And that's what makes it so fascinating to hear from her. We spoke just at the end of her tour of her current solo work, Untitled, and so we do make reference to that a fair bit, and I will put some more information about that in the show notes so that you can kind of have a look at who her collaborators were and things like that. And we're going to start with a very small excerpt of a workshop she ran with um, second-year dance and choreography students at Falmouth University, which is where I'm based. And... We also join Luca back in the props cupboard in Frankfurt for a little digest of the interview. I hope you're all keeping warm and that the festive season is one in which you can find some rest and respite as well as all the other things that come with it, dear listener. And if you can dance your way into 2023, then I highly recommend that. So, Emmeline Clade, <laughs> hello. Hi, Ruth. Hi. We are fresh out of a um, workshop that you've led, um, which was full of super rich material in terms of feeding in and out of these different aspects of your life and work in dance choreography and psychotherapy, as far as I could see as a sort of outsider in that. So I'm excited to touch on some of those things. Um, yeah, and it's funny because I've known you in these different capacities and now sitting in front of you face to face again after a long time. So, yeah, yeah it's nice because we to met see. while you were doing your PhD. Yeah, yeah, you were my PhD supervisor. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and big times of transition with Dartington yeah, closing right. and coming here, which yeah. is obviously quite a chapter in your life as well. Um, when I, I always kind of do a little bit of kind of you know, familiarising myself again and research before this. And I noticed a lot of people referring to you variously as a pioneer of contemporary dance, an icon, a legend. Oh, my goodness. I know. So I was sort of wondering about how those those kinds of descriptions feel to you. Mm. And, Mm. you know, at this point in your life, I guess, as well, of coming back to performing after 22 years, did Mm. you say? Yeah. Is that how long it's been? 
Yeah. yeah. It's been 22 years since I've done my own work. I've done a few bits and pieces, but okay. in terms of, yeah, me performing something of that. Yeah, it's yeah. 22 years. Yeah. So how do you describe yourself then if other people are describing you as a, as a pioneer and an icon? Well, how those words are definitely, they're terms definitely from outside, aren't they? They're yeah. used by others to refer to me. I mean, I guess for me, I've always just been trying to sort things out. I'm always trying to sort myself out. <laughs> <laughs> I love that, having what we've just watched, which was felt to me like, kind of making a, a mess in a good way, messing things up. Yeah. So it's interesting to hear you say yes, sorting things out. So, you know, a little bit of, the, you know, what happens physically in terms of letting go, if you really let go of what is norm, what is expected, then that's a very messy thing to do. And it's a dangerous moment. But out of that, something different can emerge. And I guess that my life's always been about trying to sort of clear up the messes, try to make a mess and becoming a mess, mm -hmm. falling out of something, and then trusting that process. Yeah. And that then something new emerges. Yeah. Or different, not new, nothing's new. Things, something different emerges. So you can see that as a kind of thread through your career, because obviously if we go way back you began with ballet yeah fell out of that <laughs> yes <laughs> fell out of ballet fell out of everything that was that's supposed to be and what nice white middle class girls do you know just none of it none of it happened yeah none of it worked yeah and I guess that's I don't know where those words pioneer and I come I think they come from I guess being part of sort of radical, radical movements in dance, but they were mostly collaborative. They weren't individualistic. Yeah, I think that's so where... in particular, X6, just yeah. again, for context for listeners, you yeah. might not know that the X6 Collective is a collective of people who were radically shifting uh, what was going on in dance at the time in terms of the hierarchies of choreography and performer, hierarchies of technique. Yeah, hierarchies and again that was a falling out because again you know all those codified dance techniques are very linear they're very upward focused and of course so much of what was going on in the somatic world at the 1970s and 80s was about letting go of that uh linearity which was mm. great which was very important for white white dancers mm. yeah and um i because so there's a there's a bit in your your first first book, I think. Yes, no, maybe that was your first book. Wasn't it? Seductive ambiguity in dance. Yeah. <laughs> when was that published? Two thousand six. Two thousand six. Okay. So. I'm just I'm just kind of reflecting on how that sits with like my own life trajectory with dance. It's funny, isn't it? You know when things arise. Yeah. Um, but the I remember reading. So I wanted to talk a bit about your writing and, and how that relates to practice. But I rem really remember reading this section about middle mush. Yes. And, and how that's really stayed with me and really stayed in my teaching undergraduates as well, like yeah. thinking about that yeah. um, as this place where you're sort of, it's sort of ambiguity, but not necessarily in a positive sense, in the yeah. sense that it's kind of neither one thing or the other and you're not ever really getting that specificity. Yeah. Is that, have I understood that right? And how do you relate to that now? Yes. So letting go, the in-betweenness, for me, is is knowing what the polarities are. Yeah. And it's by knowing what the specificities are that it is possible to play between. And I guess nice. when I was writing about Middle Mush, it's because what was happening in contemporary dance training was that no one was actually getting learned any of the specificities. Mm. They were getting taught this thing, which was a, a kind of mishmash of release, contemporary dance, codified forms. So, but none of those forms meant anything to the students in a way. They weren't getting the forms. So they weren't allowed to make their own creativity from it, which mm. we did in the 1970s. We had that opportunity because we, we had the polarities. So we could have the opportunity, we were lucky enough to have the opportunity to then see where is this creativity going. And I guess when I was writing about Middle Mush, what was worrying me was that the students were not being given the opportunity to 
find their own creativity. Mm. It's interesting, isn't it? That thing of sort of of having, do you need something also to resist? Do you know, so so you've just been talking and working a bit with this concept of like difference and really differentiation as well yes. as as a kind of relational yes. practice yes. as opposed to thinking about the disciplines. Um, and yeah, I suppose, yeah, yeah, I'm yes. just it's noticing that work, yes, similarity. Absolutely. I think that's yeah. great. It's how to work with differences, how to work, because that's where the creativity lies is in that messy place between differences, mm. not fixing the middle place yeah but it's interesting isn't it if you don't have that if you're sort of yeah if you're sort of going along with everything and you're not yeah you don't have anything to push against whether you can find that territory of in between yes I don't know I don't know and I think the thing is though that we've all you don't have to be a dancer to be to have polarities no um yeah. No, and that's huge. For example, I mean, as soon as you said it, it makes me think about gender and where yeah, we are exactly. with gender now, yeah. and and um, the brief exercise you did with the students um, today around sort of this hyper positive social face of the smile and holding mm. that and then letting it drop, and the way you linked that with gender definitely really touched me. Um, mm. Thinking about actually my first daughter, who who was very um, deadpan expression wise from a young baby and mm. people just used to go well why isn't she smiling mm. all the time mm. and you're saying how that's so much more expected of girls or women um yeah you know people yeah. who identify as women and um you know that relate that's so powerful isn't it that relationship it is between our physicality and our physical practices and yeah. the roles of the gender the society ascribed to gender yes so again i think it's that being able to play between uh, genders is is a, is a constant movement, but it's also knowing what you are playing against. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, rather than just wanting to fix into another one. Yes. Yeah, yeah that's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that that fluidity, which yeah. actually came up in my last interview a lot. Um, hydrofeminism, I was reading about. Hydrofeminism. Hydrofeminism. Oh, nice. Yeah, all watery yeah. and fluid. Gosh. Yeah. Um, so yeah, just a little bit about your writing which I feel like writing's been really central to to your practice, is it? No, you're sort of grim grimacing here. I am sense. grimacing. But I'm thinking about, I suppose what I'm thinking about is that for, with New Dance, there was the magazine Yeah. straight from the off. It was sort of like, I guess that was about, it's sort of creating a discourse around itself or something or. Yes, I think, I think we all <laughs> felt way back then. And I guess I took that through a bit is that as dancers, I mean, I had no education as a dancer. So a lot of what was going on in the 1970s was, can we, you know, can I read and write? Yeah. Do I know how to do that? Can I think? Can you I mean reflect? as in like you were taught, trained as a dancer, yeah. full stop, and yeah. not as a, yeah, yeah okay, I never, I, get did, you, get I never went to university, I never did A-levels, I didn't do BA, I didn't, you know, I didn't. Right, right, yeah, so yeah. there was a lot coming out of new dance was about, can I write? Yeah. So mm, there was, and can I reflect and can mm. I think? Yeah, and then that all got caught up into into academic. So, the thing about writing is, I think yes, I have written a couple of books, but my teachers of writing were academic. Yeah, and I got to say that I've never really been comfortable with that. Mm. Never quite understood it. I've never yeah. really known the language. It's always there's always been this kind of personal stuff that keeps getting in the way. <laughs> <laughs> Well, whether it's getting in the way or not is arguable, isn't it? Or is it actually an essential part of it? But yeah. Well, it's interesting because in this show, I have, I've written some texts and it's been just such a pleasure just to write texts which are not, haven't had to do the thing that academ academic does. Yes, absolutely. Like yeah. Theoretical field. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's been lovely to let go of that. Yeah. Letting go again. There we go. Um, Oh, there, there are so many things that I was going to say about that. <laughs> they kind of come and then they go and I'm like, let them go. Um, that's it. I was thinking, though, but you did. You have found a way, I think, in both of your books, having read both of them, to integrate the personal. It's very good of you to do that, <laughs> Well, it's quite niche, like this podcast, but, you know, I am a dance academic, so it's a niche that I, you know, genuinely enjoy and is all, all, yeah, yeah. also part of my um, chosen field or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so... 
but you for me you found a way really successfully to integrate that personal voice and those narratives by sometimes stating it very clearly like there are these different voices that I'm yep. going to use yep for example so in yes no maybe I use that as an mm. example with students it's it, it, italicized often there are these little mm. you know vignettes from your life and then in um falling through dance and life that's the correct title isn't it yeah I feel like that's were you integrated even more in terms of like that just that little example of the the smiling and the letting go mm. of that for example just how these experiences mm. sort of weave in and out of these discourses yeah. I mean for somebody who's saying I mean what a huge achievement to have written that book anyway yeah it's been important to me that book yeah definitely it is like it's based in life there's no yes. doubt about that yeah. and, and you know what interests me is where does movement and philosophy come together and, yeah. and, and experience life experience and philosophy feels very connected in yes. this idea of letting go and body gravity ground and yeah. feels very important to yeah to to have done that yeah and that this existential void existence yeah. there yeah yeah i mean um it was bell hooks wasn't it who said yeah. that um she came to theory because she was hurting and the pain was uh -huh. too and much the, which, to and to kind of to cope with on her own and that actually mm -hmm. these theoretical discourses were part, were part of supporting her lived experience yeah. which um i've always found a really beautiful um way of linking like you say these existential questions mm. or moments or whatever that we face as humans um that theory is mm. actually very can be very applied i guess it can be very real rather than just this abstract mm thinking yeah I suppose yeah. that's that's yeah. my point um so we touched on this um just earlier when you came in I was saying I was noticing also when I was this was actually I was looking to share some of your work with students and there's very little film footage of stuff that you've done in the past out in the public domain so we have access through the library to some things you do. I left quite a lot of stuff here, I think. Yeah, because you have this long, yes. his standing relationship with Dartington. Yes. As because you headed, this is me filling in the, I'm like looking at you like, please tell me when you headed the choreography course there I from did. the get go. Yes. Yes. They started a BA in choreography. That's right. And that would have been 2003. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. yeah. At Dartington. Yeah. And how did that, did you, were you invited to do that or did you, I how did that? to interview. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> You're like, it wasn't nepotism. I had an interview. They I had an interview. Yeah, yeah, it was a proper deal. <laughs> Not just your name. Oh, gosh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because up until that point, everything to do, all that history of Dartington dance was in the theatre department. Yeah. And it was then they decided, you know, higher education, making money and whatever. They decided they would have a separate BA in choreography and that. Yeah. Yeah. And how, so in terms of sort of developing that, were you, did you write it or did you just come and can you remember? Um, Diana Theodorus wrote it, I think. She She wrote the module that was, uh, she wrote the course that was um, validated. Yeah. And I inherited that. Yeah. It's a long time ago. A long Ruth. time ago, I'm, yeah. And I'm trying to think, my main thinking again was that it was very Dartington. So choreography hadn't, wasn't really separated from theatre. It was yeah. still this yeah. idea of, um, yeah, expanded choreography back then. Yeah. Which was fabulous as an idea. Yeah. Great as an idea to have yeah. this idea of expanded choreography, which of course now everybody's blah, blah, blah. <laughs> But could we get BA students to understand that? No. No. Yes. Absolutely not. Yeah, and that's yeah. where I had to really explain to Dartington, Dartington, if you want a choreography course, and if you want that at MA level, fantastic, think about it. But if you want BA students, you're going to have to give them some dance training because that's what they're coming for. Yeah. And that took forever to get started. But once I'd got that, that's what was held. And that's, I think, held here too, mm. is that they still offer dance training yeah therefore you still get the students yeah and therefore you can then empower students out of that into something else so it comes back to again providing a specificity for them to resist mm, that's so interesting yeah because i think in all the 
letting go and unlearning, there is still this desire and also this trope of what a dancer is, but also this desire for the skill, for the endorphins, for the, you know, for the kind of um, rush of getting something right, (laughs) you know, the music. And and at a certain age. And then I think... Exactly. And think then you've got that to let go of. And it Mm. feels... I think, and I don't, what's wrong with that? Nothing, nothing's wrong with that. But I think that's really interesting that you say at a certain age as well, because I definitely notice now the things I'm looking for from some, a dance experience or class or workshop are so different Different. to what I was looking for in my twenties. And it it sounds obvious, but I feel like there was a while where I was sort of still trying to force myself to have those same goals experiences um desires whatever in the studio and then when I sort of let go and um and allowed it to be a different experience yes then the pleasure opened up again yes um and so I guess I'm also really interested in the fact that it's at this point in your life that you've created this new work untitled and the relationship with the falling book as well and the the impetus to to write that is that would you say there's a sort of um what's the word oh, like an axis an axis a kind of ne- is it a nexus um, when I'm thinking about things kind of coming together at a certain point in life or whatever I don't think the show is about about the book no no um and it's it's more um it, it the book is about the, the show is about queering and queering mm. is about letting go of fixing yes so there is that element all the way through it and there's a couple of the texts that are taken from the book, but they're very personal texts. They're, mm-hmm. very, um, they're not the, the academic texts at all. Yeah. Um, but the book, is, the, the, the show isn't actually about falling. No. It's, um, it's it, well, except that queering and aging are kinds of falling. So yes, they yeah. are processes that I am in, and so that makes it. There is a parallel with the yeah. book. Yeah. 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 I guess so, yeah. And, you know, what's so interesting is I should should really be trying to sell the book while I'm on tour, and I haven't even thought about it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. Now you're like, no. Oh, Shit, I think to myself, have God, I could have made, you know, I could yeah. have made a connection here. Yes, you know? yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, I don't know. It's like I did the book, and it was really important, and... And I felt really pissed off with Bloomsbury for doing absolutely no publicity whatsoever. Yeah. yeah. And then suddenly I was like doing this and it's like, let it go. Yeah. You've let it go. Or it's going to come back. Or it comes back It comes back around again in a yeah, different yeah. way. I mean, and I think that was the point I was going to make actually about not finding much video footage was also this this social media world that we live in in terms of sort of self-promotion and this thing like you said oh god we've got to do it all ourselves now and I really feel like that it's like you do something and then there's this like second job which is to promote it and have visibility and kind of put it out there and of course we want that visibility as artists up to a point but it is it's sort of um yeah it's kind of exhausting as well and ego stuff and yeah I mean I'm getting quite addicted to it Ruth I've got to say I mean I didn't have any Instagram before now I've got Instagram you know and I keep checking oh it is so addictive yeah and you go oh my god oh there's another 56 people I've looked at I think oh my god let's see who they are you know and I'll scroll through yeah and then I look at it I think but it doesn't mean anything yeah yeah and then I come into performance there's like 15 people in the audience so what happened to those thousands that were on here social media is that where it's happening absolutely I think that's really worrying yeah Yeah. I think that is such a such a valuable point and I really remember an experience of organizing an event having loads of traction online and then turning up and there being hardly anybody there and this was a sort of more of a charity activist event but it made me aware of that disparity and you can say well it's great you've got all this engagement online but if you're working in live performance and Absolutely. And that's an important part of it. It's very tricky Such to navigate. an important part of it to be 72 performing. Yes. This is like, whoa. I mean, it's huge. this is not online. No, yeah. This is, I mean, you, you could be any any age and take a photograph. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So that, that, so that thing of you being 
the age that you are at is an important part of what you're exploring in this piece or is it um, more is it more that that happens to be it's it just is that yeah. I'm just performing at this age I'm yeah. not making a piece about being 72 no not at all no no no, no. I'm just in really finding myself back in being at home I'm at home again nice. I feel at home nice. I've come home yeah I'm performing I've come home yeah it's just Oh, it's a big thing. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, yeah such a huge, huge journey from yeah. that that training all that time ago. Yeah, it's all yeah. training and then dancing and then all that academic world, 20 years of academic world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got a nice car out of it, though. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> See you cruising up, I'll be there going, like, where's my car? It's good to have goals. You get have... it when you leave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's when I got mine. That's amazing. I love that. <laughs> um, yeah. So I just that you've mentioned queering. Yeah. And um, this this is such an I think it's such an important um, sort of concept in the world really now. Mm. I find it a really um, sort of liberating and useful yeah. premise for so many aspects of my own life. Yeah. Um, and I wondered whether, because I, I again, I noticed in the write-up, it says Emily Clade, queer dance artist. There's quite a deliberate identification mm. like yeah. that. Have you always identified like that? Or did that come sort of, I don't know, I suppose I'm thinking how... Well, I mean, when I came out as a lesbian, queer yeah. was still quite a dirty word. Exactly, this is what oh, I was yeah. wondering. For yeah. sure. Yeah. 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 I mean, that changed, what, mid-80s around that time? Yeah. I can remember going to do a talk at the place when it was a big case of what does queer mean? You know, it's like... Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Really. Um, like early those times. Yeah. Like, what, does, what is it? What do, what do you mean when you say queer? Yeah. Given it's... And it, I think it still does hold the uh the, the friction yeah. of it having a negative history yeah and now this has been reworked and i think but i think those two are very important to hold together and i guess for me part of this is, it comes up in the show is the um, the shame of queer the shame of queerness back then is something which many of us uh queer people yeah <laughs> actually want to hold on to Mm. You know, because like once gay marriage happened and it yes. all becomes yeah, yeah, yeah. nice and clean and safe, totally. and it's like all nicely packaged up. Yeah, so the heteronormativity of these kind of lifestyles yes. or yes. sort of packages. Yes. <laughs> that then, yeah, absolutely. And for many, many queer trans people, uh, that something gets lost there. Yes. Yeah, yeah, I can really see that. Yeah. yeah. So there's a wanting to hold on to what I call the shame of queer. Yeah. It's like because that is where the new practices happen. Yeah, absolutely. And to and to bring Bell Hooks back again, she wrote something about being in the margins. Yes. And like marginality is this yes. place where actually you can find yeah. power. And obviously if we if queerness also gets branded and mainstream yeah. and yeah. you know rainbows and everything it starts yeah. to alienate the some of the very people that it's yes there for as it yes. were so yeah, yeah. Really... so that's why that's yeah there's a lot of wanting to keep with the mess mm. keep us, you know just even with these young students here today are just looking at mess you know letting go all the time not not getting fixed um yeah it's, it's just a it's a experience isn't it yeah and i could really hear you trying to draw that out of them like take a take a risk damn it make a mess make a mess and I think yeah that's it was great it was really great to, to hear that and to see all the stuff in the room yeah. starting to fly I around mean, a bit and yeah. and again when you stay with something long enough it starts to happen doesn't it yes. like we were talking about earlier yeah. there's this moment um yeah. of if you stay with something something kind of shifts yes. and opens up yes absolutely so I know you. I know we've gonna we're gonna finish up, and you need to get off. But um, just to to finish, so um, this podcast called Dance Futures, and part of the concept around that was kind of uh, came came out in the pandemic because it was sort of going, wow, what what is the future now? And and you know, keeping this kind of dialogue alive during that time. But also, I was trying to imagine a future where dance was a little bit more of a kind of taken for granted practice in the best possible sense in the sense of it being 
more part of life, I guess, part of everyday life, um, which is something that I'm interested in. Mm. Um, mm. But equally, you know, the margins is, as we've just discussed, can be a nice place to be. But I guess I'm also curious, so I'm curious for you about what does just even that concept of dance futures kind of bring up for you in relation to maybe any any visions or ideas that you would like there to be for i talking for me personally or for yeah for you personally and also thinking about this stage of life where there's mm -hmm. a, there can be a lot of looking back you know and sort of reminiscing yep yep yep, yep. and actually so what what for you yep. what what how i suppose how does that feel when well, what, it, and what is there ahead or in the future for you or for dance yeah yeah i think really big existential shifts happened for me and happens for a lot of us i'm sure that i'm dying mm. that's the trajectory now yeah. there isn't any other direction yeah. there is only one yeah and i'm going there saying the words brings that alive mm. so i am going towards death and I am going to make that as full as possible. But that's where I'm going. So again, I'm mm. not trying to stay young. I'm not trying to do another whole pile of stuff. I can't, ha it's not going to go there. It's, no, it, it won't. You know, that's not where I'm going. I, and that's <laughs> not how the world will see me either. I mean, there's a lot of ages, as you know, is, yeah. is dictated to by the outside, not from the inside. Yeah. But I do think there is a lot that can happen in this um, this process of being with dying. Lovely, yeah. And there is there is some of that in your book, isn't there? In the falling, there is book. again yeah. of, of being with falling, being with aging, being being with it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So for you, filling having the fullness of experience in that in this time. Uh, whatever time we in as much as any of us know that we have left how what how does dance kind of what's the role of dance in that time for you then do you know or it's are you taking just... a lot of ibuprofen <laughs> and uh, <laughs> you heard it here first keeping on moving <laughs> oh bless you <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm, well, I'm not really joking. I'm not, it's, um, yeah, I, I, I'm really enjoying moving. Yeah. I really am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's all sorts of things. I mean, you know, like doing, making a show means going on a diet. Wow. You know, things like that. Yeah. It, in order, because I've got like quite an osteoarthritic ankle and I've had that for God knows when, since I was 11, um, the less weight I have on it, the, easier the movement is obviously Got you. Yeah, so yeah, I thought, yeah. right, I'm going to do a show and I'm going to do this thing and I'm 72 right so what am I going to do so stop drinking gluten-free sugar-free and all that whoa it's like oh my god it's like, <laughs> it all disappears wow yeah you know, so that's been fun yeah actually it's been such fun Wow, that's really nice to hear it described like that because you know there's that thing of sort of denying yourself things. Oh well, no, you know, it feels like it's been a whole opening up to being able to find the physicality again. That's oh, that's a really that's a lovely, so pleasurable. Yeah. yeah, amazing. Yeah, and working with these choreographers has been lovely with Florence and. Oh, that's right. I wanted and, to. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's been very positive, very positive to work with. So you've been it's a solo work, but you've been collaborating yeah. with these other yeah. artists. Yeah. Yeah, so although I'm alone performing, it's made in collaboration with three others. Yeah, Joseph, Heidi and Florence. Amazing. Well, we'll put all that information in the show notes about your collaborators and yeah. the book and the, Great. you know, the show so that everyone can kind of dig around and, and find find out more about any of this, this yeah. stuff. But thank you so much for your time at the end of a long day. And I'm so super excited to see the show. Tomorrow. I'm glad you're I mean, going to come. Yes, yeah. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Yeah, I'm going to start now because yeah, yeah, go for it. Um, I, I'm really happy that you're in the cupboard again. <laughs> <laughs> Here again, it's actually the warmest building 
Oh, the warmest room in the building. Is it cold in Frankfurt as well? Because it's freezing here. Oh, yeah, chilly. Chilly, chilly, chilly. I was talking about um, how, you know, how differently your body responds when it's really cold. Yeah. And you like tense up and everything. And and then I read this thing saying, you know, I guess it's like the cold water technique, where It's like you, if you practice like releasing into that, then you're better yeah. to deal with stress. So, uh, you know. That's yeah, it. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, I was when we were talking to um, who was I talking to? Yi about warming up in Singapore, and she was like, "We don't have warm up before class. It's just hot enough that you just go in, and because it's so warm, everyone's bodies are constantly like oh. supple and flexible." And oh I was my like, god! What? Oh my god! I love that. I mean, they must. Have- they must have to warm up a bit, but I do really recognise that feeling where I'm when I'm somewhere hot, where it kind of sinks into you in a way that just makes you feel yeah, yeah like able to stretch I and think, move and be juicy in a different way. You know, like those super elite private schools that have a summer and winter campus. I think that's what Falmouth Uni needs. That they <laughs> their winter campus is somewhere in I don't know Gran Canaria. And um, are you listening? Never mind climate yes. change. Never mind climate change, Luca. <laughs> Come on now. Um, how are you? How, how did you um? And have you listened to Emmeline's? I have, yes. What and, any, really and um, yeah, I keep. I'm struggling now because I always want to call her an icon or a legend because, but then that's kind of something that we also like. Yeah, talked about during the interview, but there is something sort of legendary about you know hearing her speak about the, these like pivotal moments in dance history yeah definitely um it hers is a name which has cropped up throughout um my sort of dance education since i started so yeah it's really exciting to have her on the show for me i think you know just being you know over 40 <laughs> and and the the, the sort of more traditional kind of schools of dance or like styles of dance where you you know retirement is now I mean I'm I'm Mm. I'm over the hill to to be in front of such an articulate performer and I mean that in the sense of her body's you know capacity to articulate the things that she was exploring in the work um was really really yeah I mean, again inspiring is overused but I guess it was just sort of um yeah like an expansive experience watching that performance for me in that way of kind of also going you know a 22 year break and then she came back like no we don't know what where life circles are going to kind of come back around again yeah. yeah I was reminded of a um an article that I read mm, I think it was in the New York Times last month about Yvonne Rayner's sort of last piece and I'm using for for the audio listeners I'm using inverted commas here yeah um Rayner had described it as it as this piece being her swan song and but then but then there was this kind of like but maybe clause to it being the final piece and I think um maybe that's something that any artist can come to feel that towards the end of a traditional career that there's still maybe some that that old age and death brings a new life to creativity and and exploring those ideas and I was I was I felt quite emotional listening to that part of the interview yeah it's it's quite a difficult subject to talk about it and it is very I think in in British Western culture, it is very taboo to talk about dying still. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, people don't feel comfortable about talking about those things. So it's, it's I think it still has a bit of shock factor. and But in a weird way, I don't mean this morbidly, but it's quite exciting that people mm-hmm. feel that they can talk about these things now and that they can be explored on a, on a personal, intimate level. Yeah. Yeah, no, I really agree. I think there's something about the like the presence of death even in a discussion, right, which makes you more alive to the present. And I mean it's kind mm-hmm. of obvious, but at the same time if we're not ever addressing death, then then that's can 
get a bit lost as well that that real kind of liveness or yeah presence is probably also what made Remlin's performance really powerful as well I would have loved to have seen seen that piece my sister is living in Falmouth at the moment I was like I will buy you a ticket you have to go and see it on my behalf oh yes oh. I love <laughs> and what did you think about her take on the kind of um the shame of queerness and almost kind of wanting to hold on to that because I thought that was really interesting maybe not shame per se but that kind of marginalized status and I think um yeah I think it's something we've talked about before you know just in relation to you personally how the, the corporatization of pride mm. and things like that and the problems around that and so yeah I just enjoyed hearing her articulate that as well. Yeah um, I remember we had a conversation in the summer about um, one of the pride events that I witnessed in June um, and I felt that it was the element of um, resistance and kind of rebellion and uprising and finding power and strength in numbers had just kind of dissipated and it was this very neatly packaged um, corporate sponsored event and I and I was kind of a bit saddened by it it was it was a real double-edged sword because I was going wow isn't it fantastic to see all of these young people people who were younger than me when I came to terms with my um sexuality being able to walk in public openly waving the flag quite literally for however they identified but at the same time seeing all of these um rainbow themed corporate cars and freebies being handed out and mm. the presence of police and all of these complex difficult um discussion it's a big discourse at the moment yeah in of the course country. yeah 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 um, like I was thinking as you're saying it, it's kind of nationwide now you know global really that yeah dilemma almost perhaps that's a unique take from um that me, yourself, and Emmeline are all white individuals. Mm. We're all cisgendered. Mm. And so perhaps for me, pride feels safe and 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 lacking in a sense of rebellion because it is totally safe for me to be there. Mm. But perhaps there are still members of the queer community which still taking part in a very local corporately sponsored um pride parade like that it would still be a huge um step for them to take that mm. Mm. Um, yeah I no that's I... I think yeah I think that's yeah I think that's really a good point it's interesting and I kept on talking about bell hooks when I was talking to Emily and, mm. and um you know she was one of the fundamental people that you know really articulated why feminism was not inclusive of women of color you know mm. that was a really important yeah she was a really important part of that conversation and that recognition and the, and then the shift and, and that didn't come without struggle I guess so yeah I think I think the struggles are still important as much as yeah. as much yeah. as creating those safe zones are those struggles at the margins are also really important because they potentially create real change, right? Um, yeah, and I think I think Emmeline's perspective. I just found it fascinating on so many levels from from the sort of of understanding what she's lived through and as a kind of mm. um, coming out as a lesbian in the seventies as, as a classically trained ballerina and sort of thinking about what that that whole kind of identity shift and and then where we are now with gender in relation to some of those kind of really hyper-feminized tropes of ballet and her position in that as a gay woman and then yeah. coming out of that. You know, it's just like uh, the personal narrative, the way that it intersects with these really big issues and, and mm -hmm. somehow in the piece as well, those things got distilled into a singular body and working with objects as well. So there were these, so there was clay, and there was this kind of wolf skin. And then in the image for the podcast this month, you'll see this incredible headdress, which I'm quite pleased it's December edition and it looks vaguely festive. Right. But actually, because it's got like antlers and stuff. But actually, oh, cool. 
that's not really what it means but um but we can enjoy the kind of festive nod but yeah it was all sort of distilled in this really concentrated way and you know as a solo work but there's so yeah. much complexity in that story as well so it'd be good to pick up on the point that you made about um coming out as a lesbian um whilst training in classical ballet yeah. and just thinking about the hypocrisy there that there's a large proportion of male ballet dancers who identify as gay and that's totally okay mm. it's it's sort of, even when it wasn't okay to be gay publicly ballet has always the ballet industry has always been a safe space for gay men um mm -hmm. and this yeah, double and think, hypocrisy double, that, yeah i think queer yeah. women in general in dance actually i think yeah. i think in contemporary dance as well yeah i don't think it i think you know gay men and queer men are still more yeah somehow it's more normal or accepted than than queer women mm. sort of really being yeah open about that identity in that context or whatever i'm not saying that people are hiding it but just somehow that culturally it's not as recognized yeah. or something yeah, yeah. Mm, so much food for thought so much food for thought and you're just at the beginning you're just at the beginning of your long career i, I probably won't be alive if you're still performing when you're 72 that's oh my god depressing. don't say that it's really depressing well i was can you I do was thinking before i die luca get out of that cupboard <laughs> Get out of that cover before I die. <laughs> oh wow. That's gonna be the title of my next piece. Um Before Ruth Dies. Before Ruth Dies. A, a dance you came for out Ruth. Of the years ago and then you went back into the cupboard. <laughs> yeah, no. Oh my god. Um, oh. all right, my lovely. Well, listen, this is the December edition, so festive greetings to you and um and to you. Hi, me again. It's the geek out section in which I try to provide a little bit of um, insight into some of the niche world of dance academia, hopefully in a way that is accessible and interesting to people outside of that field too, and to not be a gatekeeper to this kind of way of thinking and writing, I guess. Um, it feels only right that because I mentioned Bell Hook several times, I just wanted to flag up her work, just all of her work, really, actually, if you don't know it already, but I probably have wanged on about her before on here, so you probably do if you're a regular listener. Um, the One of the pieces I was referring to in this, ep this episode is um, called Choosing the Margins as a Space of Radical Openness. I know I've definitely mentioned that before. It's one of my favourite titles and I am a bit of a title slut I love making them up I can come up with them after years of practice I can come up with them quite quickly whether I could actually produce the content is another matter but as a title that just on its own gives me so much scope for thinking about what that might mean in relation to my own life and work so a title that can do that in its specificity kind of open up ways of thinking and imagining for me is just a a geek dream what can I say so yeah do go and check that out it's, it's pretty rare that I can um go into an actual book of somebody that I have just interviewed Emily's book is called Falling Through Dance and Life so the relation she kind of is looking at falling as a creative resource for change and she touched on that in the interview I think you heard her talking about these kind of falling into things and and falling out of them falling about falling away which are the different uh, chapter titles and when I first read it I was particularly struck by um, a bit of writing about a movement trend in the 1990s called Eurocrash and the reason that it stood out for me is because it was something that featured in my own dance training that seems quite absent now well certainly it's not called called as such it's not called Eurocrash I don't know if my students would um know what that is so um and I'm just going to read you a little quote Eurocrash was this kind of very physically intense um form of 
which involved a lot of crashing about, falling and sort of narrow misses, um, bumping into things and each other, um, sort of maybe quite extreme in some, in some ways, a sense of risk. Um, and so Emmeline writes, while a critical backlash was inevitable, many writers overlooked key positive aspects of Eurocrash. For us dancers, falling was a far more complex experience than simply a release of anger. What has been labelled as a Eurocrash fall was an embodied way to begin undoing the conventional codes of beauty on our bodies. Falling had to be bodily experienced for physical, metaphorical and psychological change to happen. Furthermore, the collective surrender to gravity of dance theatre performers played a role in shocking audiences from their complacency. So, um, yeah, there's this kind of seeing this movement trend as a sort of kind of form of resistance, I guess, and also thinking about how a movement impacts our own sort of psychological and emotional landscape, really. And that really relates to the solo work and also the writing on shame that Emmeline does in this book and thinking about how shame creates this kind of um, the head is bowed, the shoulders are rounded and it is a kind of sinking down. And so the, what I love about this book is the way that it weaves together um, the body and the, the physical and the social aspects really of experiences like shame. So um, really recommend having a look at that. And I am going to go and try and find some Eurocrash videos <laughs> for my to amuse myself. And speaking of amusement, I would love to know if you listen to this podcast regularly, whether or not you value this section or whether um, you would be perfectly happy just with the interview. So do drop me a line if you've got any feedback on that. Um, and that is because obviously I don't want to be talking into a void. This stuff lights me up, but it may not do the same for you. And with a new year approaching, it's a good time to review our practices and habits and things that we might like to change. Um, or do differently so I'm doing that too in life and work and wishing everyone listening the season that they need whatever they need <laughs> I can't say happy Christmas anymore it's not only culturally but just knowing what a strain it puts on quite a lot of people and I'm hoping that there is a cultural shift um, towards a bit more stillness mm -hmm.